Before we start the show today, we'd love to hear more from you, our listeners, whether that's a rating and review on Apple Music, a tweet, or even dropping us an email at unedited at edited.com. It'd be great to know what you've enjoyed and what you'd like to see more of. So make sure you slide into our DMs with any feedback. Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing, brought to you by myself, Grace Hill, and Vicky Giles. From fashion, beauty, and homework, Grace and I will discover industry topics, we'll shed light on how retailers can create a much brighter future. So today we have a very special episode in honour of International Women's Day on the 8th of March to talk about a different side of fashion retail. We want to demystify getting ahead in the fashion industry, whether you're at school, university or just looking for a new challenge. We have Dior with us today to share tips and experiences on how our listeners can rise through the ranks. Dior, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Dior's the founder of Pepper Your Talk, a digital platform for young fashion creatives. Why digital? Because through Pepper Your Talk, she aims to create as many physical experiences offline and in real life as she does digitally. In 2017, she founded the Junior Network, fashion's first members club for young professionals. And with the help of Dior's network of industry leaders, the Junior Network has supported the career ambitions of employees at companies such as Vogue, Net-A-Porter, ASOS, Farfetch and Amazon Fashion, amongst many, many others. Additionally, Dior is a guest lecturer, panel moderator, workshop facilitator and speaker covering topics such as fashion, careers, confidence, enterprise and diversity. And remarkably, she has made time to be with us here today amongst all of that. (laughs) We have dragged you here, Zio. We do apologise, but we needed to hear from you. (laughs) Happy to be here. So before we start today, we wanted to talk a little bit about how we each got into the industry. So Grace and I both come from industry. Obviously, you do as well. How did you get into it so I always say my mum kind of gave me no choice because she named me Dior um so yeah I always had to work in fashion but I genuinely don't feel like I could do anything else and I've explored like well through education different sides of the industry art and design textiles fashion and clothing and then fashion promotion to find my space and then eventually I created my own space in fashion amazing well me myself I didn't really have any kind of academic background within fashion so I I did American studies at the University of Manchester so absolutely nothing to do with the industry (laughs) whatsoever but I did work in fashion retail throughout my kind of university career whether that was like warehouse or top shop and Mm -hmm. various different kind of brands and just sort of as everybody does when they're at university go through that period of time going what am I going to do with my life Um, (laughs) and I started researching roles within head offices of the companies that I'd I'd kind of worked at throughout university originally I started to apply for jobs locally in Manchester but at the time this was a while ago I'm not going to say how long Um, a while those kind of entry-level positions didn't really exist outside of London so I had to make the decision to move to London and I applied yeah no it was obviously uh, do you know what there's an element of me that thinks I'm super glad I did it because to go to I guess where a lot of people would consider in this country to be the center of that kind of Mm -hmm. industry and obviously that's changing now Mm -hmm. we've got a huge kind of presence in in places like Manchester in Leicester uh, of these kind of industries it felt exciting at the time but I applied to the Arcadia group as a graduate was eventually placed in the Miss Selfridge brand and I worked my way up from admin assistant you know photocopying 
Faxing, faxing back in those what days. Faxing? Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dior. And, <laughs> and uh, I worked my way up to established buyer where I worked on a number of areas, including jersey tailoring, knitwear, and in, in branded buying. So. And then wow. eventually came here. To edit it. Yeah. Where you met me. Which was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> we just found out we have the same middle name. So really? We, uh, What's that? Ellen. Yeah. Oh, it's not that name, common, it? is it? No, it wasn't. We literally found it out the other day. By over chance. a year of working with each other and we've never discussed our middle name. Anyway, Grace, how did you get into... Uh, so I, growing up, love fashion. Like always like was sketching even had the most, like, because I'd used to go and spend a lot of time with my grandmother and I'd always be drawing there to keep me busy. And then as I was going through school, you know, kind of strayed away from that, didn't think, didn't want to pursue, you know, a university degree in the arts. So I was like, I ended up going to University of Bath. I did what's called BBA, which is business administration. And what was amazing about it is it was a sandwich course. So I got to do two six-month placements. I worked at the Crown Estate and... Of course you did. Of course I did. <laughs> and Lizelle Beauty. But I think what was amazing about it is from the experience of the placements and the internships was I realised what it was that I wanted to do and that always led me back to wanting to work in fashion. Yeah. But then at that point, I realised I didn't have that fashion degree or that arts degree. And I vividly remember in, again, like you, in that final year of uni, like stressing, like, what is it that I'm going to go and do afterwards? Like, what role? Like, a lot of my, like, peers were going into investment banking or accounting or, <laughs> like, I just could not see myself going down that no. route at all. So I remember being sat in the library and an email came through from the careers department that was like international merchandising role. And I was like, oh, this looks really interesting. And I clicked into it. And what I loved is that it kind of had that mix of creative but Mm. analytical using both sides of my brain. And yeah, so I actually ended up moving out to the States, working in Ohio, of all places, <laughs> and joined the uh, leadership development program at Abercrombie & Fitch, which was a real experience. <laughs> I was... Um, so they've got their own, like, town there, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> Abercrombie & Fitch <laughs> town. Albany. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole place smells like Abercrombie, I'm yes, sure. Yes, <laughs> I know. I just remember turning so they, up for the interview and being encouraged to wear flip-flops, and we got, like... Did they put the models on the door as you walk we in? We actually did have models at that time when I started doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I would demand a pedicure as part of my... <laughs> yes, I know, but part package. of my package. Yeah. <laughs> It was wild. But yeah, I guess within kind of like six months, I was presenting to Mike Jeffries, who was the infamous CEO at the time. So it was really a baptism of fire, but I learned a lot. I can imagine. Um, I think that's so important as a junior to kind of have those big moments really early on in your career. It was incredible. So Dior, can you explain to Mm. our listeners what Pep Your Talk and the Junior Network is and why you built them? Okay. So Pep Your Talk, I would say it's for students and graduates and it's about giving them real insight into the industry. So I, from my experience at university and then my peers' experiences and then all the young people I speak to now, they just are so disillusioned about what fashion actually is and actually it's just another corporate sector yeah it's just about climbing the ladder in the same way as understanding hierarchy company politics culture so I guess I just go into universities do a series of different lectures and host my own events in which we kind of demystify all the areas and then also do workshops and like CV cover letter confidence just the real key skills soft skills that they need and 
and then the hard skills as well, like the things they need to present. So that's what Pepe Your Talk is. And then the junior network, I would say, is birthed out of the last need I had when I was in the industry. So when I was at Burberry, I wanted fashion friends. I wanted them to be friendly. I wanted a space that felt like a careers advisor, but a bit more cool. Um, And I I wanted to go to events and meet senior leaders in a really non-judgmental environment where I could ask the silly questions um, that you have when you're a junior. So then I created the club. So they go hand in hand. So it's like students, graduates and young professionals. But then I thought I'd split it up just so that there's clear lines between the two. What an amazing organisation to have built. So we know you previously worked in fashion yeah. at Burberry. Yes. So how did you start your career there? Oh my God, the story is so... <laughs> Listeners, you're going to love this. Okay, so I worked... Every summer I'd work in Harvey Nichols in the Burberry department. And that was like a temping job. Amazing. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Loved it. I love customer interaction. I love speaking to people. I love selling, yeah. making money. <laughs> um, commission? I didn't get any commission, actually. So I'd give it to my teammates. And they loved working with me because I could sell. So they're yeah. just like, you want to work with you? Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah, so they were making money from me. And then, um, so one day my agency called me up and they're like, do you want to work in the Burberry sample cell? I was like, yeah, it's in the head office. So I was like, okay, like, this is my time. I knew I wanted to work in PR at that point. I Mm -hmm. thought I wanted to work in PR. So my plan, mentally, was to go in and hand in my CV whilst I'm working the sample cell. Didn't have the confidence. That's so bullshit. I just had that about plan. That was the plan. I didn't do it. (laughs) You spoke, no, you spoke too soon. You gave me all the accolades. (laughs) I didn't do it. I was so, I walked around the PR department one time on my lunch break and I was like, these people look so serious and like they're so grown up and yeah. I'm only like 21, I don't know what I'm doing. And I had to wear this horrible like Zara suit. I just felt so like not ready. Yeah. So on the last day of the sample cells, like in my head, basically beating myself up of being like, you're so stupid, like you should just do it. And the head of, I think it was like asset and profit protection, so like APP, security, I guess. He was like, oh, you've worked so hard all week. What do you do? Where are you from? And I was just like, oh, I'm from Harvey Nicks, but I'm temping, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, he put me in touch with Amanda, who was the head of press samples. And I got an interview for a six-week internship. And I literally like made best friends with everyone on the team. And then they hired me off the back of that. Yeah, crazy. But how amazing is that, though? So that your hard work was recognised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like, that's incredible. That is, so when I go into like, universities and tell this story, I always say, like, work hard in everything you do yeah. because you don't know when you're going to be recognised. And I guess you kind of, like, you networked with the people around you yeah. and that got you somewhere. Exactly. And when I got that internship, I was like, one of my friends was like, oh, I was convinced I was going to get a full-time job. And she was like, no, that, those things don't happen. And I was like, you're not me. Like, <laughs> I will make it happen. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I will make it happen. And I did. So, well, I did with the help of the team and then, you know. The power me. of the relationships, I literally, guess, that you built. Literally, that was it. And I just worked hard and I didn't, I wasn't afraid to do anything and everything, yeah. even though I didn't know how to do anything. I'd yeah. never even interned before, which Amazing. was scary. So, yeah. I mean, you know, you talk about that coming from an experience of yours. One of the questions that a a lot of graduates ask, maybe who haven't studied fashion like like yourself, can you work in fashion without a fashion degree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't want anyone to feel discouraged Mm -hmm. if they haven't got a degree. Majority of people that I worked with actually haven't studied fashion. So that's Mm -hmm. a great starting point for anyone. I would say the two degrees that are super popular, though, history of art, yeah. And literature, like English literature. Really? Everyone that's senior, go and take a look on LinkedIn now. You're going to be like, oh, 
Those are the two degrees <laughs> that everyone's done. If I could go back, I think I would have studied English literature because I love words. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, not necessary. You don't even need to go to university. No. Full stop. You just need to have something about you. Know why you want to go into the industry. Work on your soft skills. So how you interact with people, your mm-hmm. empathy, mm-hmm. your understanding, and then have an understanding of the industry itself and yeah. how it works, the different departments. But when you're a junior, people hire you for potential. So again, don't feel pressure to be perfect because you're just starting out. No one wants you to be an expert at that point. So how do you establish yourself, I guess, within that kind of environment, not being an expert, but how do you kind of, how do you put across that you have potential to people? Yeah, I think confidence is a big thing Mm -hmm. and not confidence in being the loudest in the room and going in and making sure everyone knows who you are, but like that quiet confidence in who you are. So when you go Mm -hmm. into a room, you look people in the eye, you shake their hands, you speak clearly about what it is that they've, you know, whatever question they've asked you, you're quite confident in that. And also just taking time to pause, not acting like you know everything they ask you a question it's okay to say can you repeat it just being quite clear concise and what really helps is having it's weird it's a weird one but a good personal image so like if you're going for an interview at Burberry whatever it may be look like it's weird because what is a Burberry employee but look like you fit in look like you understand the brand you understand what you're there to do and that you're there to kind of be part of a family there's a few things that you can do but those are like my top skills my top tips I would say there's that saying isn't it it's like dress for the job that you want yeah when I went for my interview with Amanda I very cheekily I couldn't buy anything in the sample cell because I wasn't actual Burberry stuff so I saw this girl that looked friendly I literally went like shoulder to shoulder with her (laughs) and I was like can you buy me this jacket And I will pay you back. I was like, I'll pay you tonight and I'll meet you tomorrow. She was like, who are you? And I was like, <laughs> I was like don't worry. Honestly, give me your bank. I'll go to the toilet now and put the money in your bank. Like, oh like my it's God, fine. And then I wore that jacket to my interview. And it was a jacket I had my eye on for ages. So it was like a win-win. So it was a win-win? Yeah, it was a win-win. Yeah, it's but like again, now. like opportunistic. Like you yeah. saw it and you're like, okay... You I want to wear like this that. to an interview. I want to look yeah. the part. Before I even knew there was an interview coming up, I was already mentally preparing for something. Yeah. So yeah. Did you always? Did you always want to work at Burberry? Was I that did. something that I you did. really wanted to do? I was really headstrong about that. I didn't know how it was going to happen, but that was the only company I wanted to work for. And I was like, no matter how crazy or out there I have to be yeah. like I'm, I'm gonna make it happen. And then Brilliant. luckily it happened in a way that didn't actually require me to assert myself. It was just. Well, you say that, but I think there's so many people out there that would admire you for actually. It does seem quite assertive the way that the way that you (laughs) the way that you kind of you you contacted people that you knew could help you and actually just put yourself out out there in front of people. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, like thinking outside the box, not just going through the traditional way of like, okay, I'm going to go on LinkedIn or I'm going to go to Burberry's website and look at the careers page. Exactly. Actually, what what can I influence? Like, okay, I work. Yeah, I can work yeah. at a sample sale. I can use this opportunity. Exactly. And I use my time in retail to learn everything about the product. Yeah. Yeah. Because ultimately the product is what the consumers fall in love with. So if you, no matter what role you go into, as long as you understand the product, understand the customer's emotional reactions to it, the fabrics, the mm-hmm. fit, and the feel that, you know, the kind of feeling the brand gives people. The story around Yeah, it, you can yeah. take that to any Definitely. department. So I was like, okay, as long as... Although I'm in retail at the moment, I want to learn everything about this product that is like the golden ticket. I think people underestimate as well experience in stores. Oh my God, yeah. And that interaction, as you said, with a customer. Like 
so many of the big brands that we work with or even companies that I've worked for as well, like how much they value people that have stores experience and giving them the opportunity to work in their businesses because like that customer intel and knowledge is mm-hmm. is gold. It's it's yeah, gold. It's yeah it really is some people that work in the head office that don't have that mm-hmm. understanding you can see it straight away yeah you can just be like oh you don't really understand the car or you've never been on the shop floor and it shows yeah. yeah so although girls and guys you're probably in retail right now and it's killing you it is worth it trust yeah. me Definitely. it's Definitely. worth Definitely. it Definitely. or even when at university take that part-time job yeah like i'm working a store because yeah. that's all going to help you in exactly your journey. like i made the decision not to work whilst I was studying but every summer for like the six to eight weeks I worked full time Yeah. yeah so so what about people outside of that kind of university age group maybe people who've established themselves in another industry yeah do you have any tips for those kind of people wanting to make the move into the fashion retail industry it's so difficult it is because I do feel like fashion favors the next generation and they're always looking for younger and younger people to kind of step into these junior roles also because of the salaries yeah and the the fact that you'll be working long hours and weekends and if you have kids or if you have like commitments like a mortgage and stuff it's difficult to take a low salary or fully commit yourself but there are ways around it I think for someone who is probably a bit older network your way in yeah and find the key decision makers like go to panels and stuff and let them be your voice and be your advocate that's one way to do it because people love people yeah and if you've got someone on the inside advocating for you and say no actually I feel like she'll be great even though she hasn't worked in fashion mm-hmm. or he would be great that yeah that's priceless I guess talking about as much as possible about those transferable skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You need to be organised to work Absolutely, in fashion. Absolutely, exactly. You need, you need to have an eye for things and you can prove that through other means. Yeah. Transferable skills are everything. And people don't realise they have them, which is sad. I'm well, like, I, 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 yeah. I think, you know, because I made the move from from fashion retail into into this industry here with Edited. And when you sit down and write down the skills that you have and yeah. you kind of strip it out away from the day-to-day job that you did everything you do is transferable everything nothing is irrelevant nothing and you can make faxing skills (laughs) i mean but you know (laughs) you know when when the email goes down grace and you can't fax don't come i'll be there Sorry, you No, no, you go. <laughs> I was just going to say, the, what's the key to juggling uni with a job or moving up the career ladder? Now, you've said yourself, you mm. you kind of chose to make, you know, the most of that six to eight week break in the yeah. summer. I worked throughout because my course was kind of quite light on hours within, okay. within mm-hmm. uh, the actual kind of uni day. Yeah. In your opinion, how can you combine moving up the career ladder and taking care of yourself and your own well-being so I was at a university last week and one of the students asked me this. So she studies obviously full-time, works part-time and she's an influencer as well. And I was like, oh, you wow. have to... Yeah, she does a lot. Which is important actually because when you go into the industry, you're never just going to work on one project at once. So it's yeah. good to learn those skills now. And she was like, oh, on my days off, I wake up and I do my uni work. And I was like, that's not enough. You have to diarise your hours. You have to literally say, I'm going to wake up at 7, between 7 and 8, that's my chill time have a shower, have breakfast, and then between, let's say, eight and nine, I read for an hour, then maybe have a 15-minute break. You literally have to be meticulous Mm -hmm. in how you use all your hours because you don't have enough. 
and you would sometimes find yourself getting carried away with something that's not a priority. Maybe do a bit more of the influencer stuff when actually you've got a deadline coming up because that's more fun. So you have to be very, very strict in how you literally prioritise all the hours of your day. Mm. And then you feel that good at 6pm when you can just close all your books and relax because guess what? You've got everything done. Mm -hmm. So diarising your hours is like my super, super top tip. Okay. So talking of top tips, Mm. kind of... We obviously review a lot of CVs in, in our roles yeah. in managing the teams, but what are kind of the common mistakes that you have oh seen or experienced <laughs> in like fashion CVs and how would you suggest that you make someone's CV stand out? That's such a good question. So I've just written a 20-page CV workbook. A 20, <gasps> 20 page pages. Oh, my yeah. gosh. It's, it's the like, first one, don't make your CV 20 pages. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's in there. That is definitely in there. And it goes through all the sections, like your profile, your details, your experience, your education, special projects, how to list your skills, what skills are. Literally, I go in. It's taken me, like, months to create it. Wow. It's going to come out next week on the website. So and, where can um, people find that? So on the Pepper Your Talk website. It's going to be like part of our resources, literally. And I've tested it with like some of the girls in the network and they're like, oh my God, this is so easy to follow. So I would say some of the things that I personally am not a fan of are highly decorated TVs. Mm -hmm. I just think... No spritzing of the perfume. Oh my God, no. It's not like Abercrombie. Unless you're applying for Abercrombie. (laughs) You want to put their scent on it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I would say just not highly decorated. My top tip is... Look at a Vogel Harper's Bazaar contents page. You know how it's got like beautiful spot font and a good balance of like white space and text. No imagery. So forget all the imagery. Mm-hmm. If you're a junior, if you're a student, there's no excuse for having more than one page. Yeah. If you are a junior, potentially you can go up to two pages, but no more. Mm-hmm. Always send it as a PDF. Only send your CV as a Word document unless you want someone to edit it. Oh my God. (laughs) Because why? Your profile should answer three questions. Who you are, your previous experience that's relevant and what you aim to contribute to the new company. Nothing more, nothing less. Your experience should be relevant. Mm -hmm. So if you worked in a burger van, I mean, cool, nice. I'm glad (laughs) that you've done something to earn money, but not always relevant if you have fashion experience. So don't be scared to edit things and make it more concise. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go back to secondary school. It's not necessary. If you've got like all A stars and you want to put that, then just put the name of your school and then just put 12 A stars and that's it. Always list things in the order of... The I never know how to say this order. chronological order. There we go. I, I need knew, to go. I knew that yeah, I don't. Know, I never know how to. I know how to write it. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to say it. So yeah, people mix up their experience and they put like what they did in 2015 first, and I'm like, yeah. no, no, yeah, do 2019 first. I guess as well, it's that funny thing. It's like you forget how people who are reading these CVs are going to sift through them pretty quickly. Very quickly, Like, they're not going to go to the third page to find the 2019 or the 2020 experience. They're just going to dump it. (laughs) Literally, they're going to be like, oh, this is a bit crazy, I don't have time. (laughs) So, yeah... Absolutely. Those are, I've got more. I just download the 20 page workbook. It will help you loads. Yes. That sounds amazing. We'll definitely, we'll definitely link that to the episode, I'm sure. Thank you. And I think uh, one of the things, so we'll, let's talk a little bit about a, a kind of scenario here. Yes. So if you're faced with choosing between maybe a more junior role at a more aspirational brand mm-hmm. versus a more potentially fulfilling opportunity at a lesser known or hyped brand how do you think people should make that choice i always say you have to have a why 
So like sometimes the students come up to me and they're like, oh, I did this internship or whatever and it was irrelevant. And I was like, mm, nothing in life is irrelevant. You just didn't have a strong enough why attached mm-hmm. to your time there. So when making decisions like that, no one can tell you which one's the right or the wrong one. You have to think, okay, what do I want to get out of the next two to three years of my career? Who do I want to meet? What skills do I want to develop? What personal things do I do I want to develop? Maybe your confidence or your ability to speak in front of senior leaders and which opportunity is just going to get you to that quicker literally Mm -hmm. it's that simple sometimes we like dilly dally over things and make things complicated but if you have your goals in front of you and then you compare the two opportunities it becomes very clear so define your goals before you look at it absolutely have a have a why in every single thing you do like i say to the girls and guys as well like have a why for just your everyday Mm -hmm. because your life becomes so much more meaningful and fulfilling like even if yeah it really (laughs) does like even if you're just going to meet friends like maybe it's i want to have a really really enriching conversation and you guys can like talk all your rubbish and giggle but then you just kind of switch it have that great in-depth conversation about whatever it is that you're interested in. You're like, oh, yeah. I've got a lot out of today. So have a yeah. wife for every single day and then your career and then your personal life and everything else. I feel like you're going to say that you haven't made a mistake because there's no such thing as what? a mistake. No, <laughs> I have. What would you say the mistakes that you've oh made? Oh, my God. Yeah. I could write a book. <laughs> what did you learn from your mistakes? Um, I would say my biggest mistake... So my biggest career mistake, well, my first, actually, I should say, is I probably stayed in my role at Burberry too long. Mm -hmm. So it was a junior role and I was there for two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I could have probably left six months earlier because I'd learned everything that that role could teach me. And actually, I wasn't going to progress in press samples and I didn't want to go ahead to do PR anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So I should have left a lot sooner and pursued something else. Mm -hmm. I say to young people, the day you start your job should almost be a countdown. And once you start counting down, you realise that you learn things a lot quicker because you've given yourself like a quite short time frame to kind mm-hmm. of excel in all the areas you want to excel in. So that was that. When I started my business, oof, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I, d- I still sometimes I'm like, who am I even? Like, um, I just did everything and anything. I didn't know how what the like clear revenue streams were for creating a platform for young people because A, they don't have money. Mm-hmm. B, I didn't have contacts, surprisingly. Like, leaving Burberry, you'd think I knew loads of people. I didn't. Mm-hmm. So every day I just get up and do something random. As yeah. random, I just started a YouTube channel because I was like, I have a lot to say and I feel like YouTube is a good platform. So I definitely would have created not like a strict business plan, but I would have had a clearer understanding of like, Instead of saying I want to make money, I should have had a fixed figure of how much I wanted yeah. to make each mm-hmm. month, how I was going to do that, who I needed. Yeah. Get your why together. Get, so I had my why, <laughs> but it was just like my why was uh-huh. more about a feeling. Yeah, it was yeah. more about I just want to help people. Yeah. And it was like, mate, it's a hobby unless it makes money. If yeah. it doesn't make money, yeah. it doesn't make sense. So, yeah, that for me was like my biggest learning curve. My parents like hated me. They were just like... What are you doing? With you? You've had a job. Like now you're just you've left. yeah. They just my dad was like, you could have just gone for a promotion. Like why didn't you just you know climb the ladder? And I was like, no, I want to follow my passion. Did you have to get them on board? I still feel like they're not on board, but they just leave me to do my thing. Now. <laughs> Wait till they hear the podcast, right? <laughs> Listen, I've done several things that they should be proud of, but they're still a bit like. What like just why do you like what well, are you doing? Do you find you're educating maybe an older generation as to the fact that yeah. you can create your own space now? You Absolutely. can create your own industry yeah. around yourself. I still have an ambition to create like a video series where young people speak about 
the jobs they do in a way that they're like grannies would understand. Like I, I literally want to, <laughs> I want to do something that is just like, okay, if you were sitting down with your nan, how would you describe your job? How yeah. would you make it make sense to her? And then when other young people want to go into jobs, they can use those videos as like, okay, parents, this is what I want to do, but this person's going to explain it to you. And then there's not, no issues from day one because yeah. I'm having major issues with my people. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Don't you have to do that with your granny explain? You explain how you uh, what you do for oh, a living. Oh, it was so funny because I was mentioned to her that yeah. I was starting a podcast, and <laughs> she literally she my brother like gave her his old iPad for Christmas like two years ago, <laughs> and she's never used it. She couldn't even remember what the password was to get <laughs> into it. That. I was like, now this is going to come in use because we're going to download the podcast and you can listen to it. She's I think one of she's, our biggest fans. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think she's probably only listened to about two episodes, but she was like. Now I know actually what you do. I was yeah, like, okay, lovely. well, I'm pleased that this has helped. It could uh, be that simple, just sitting them down and saying, listen to this. Like, yeah, just listen. Exactly. That's it. And that's my job, just <laughs> creating audio files, you know? 100%. So, kind of, how are you seeing roles mm. in Fashion Evolve and what you kind of the students that you work with and the yeah. graduates what are they going for because we know kind of typical buying and merchandising roles are, are traditional concepts mm-hmm. it'd be great to understand why you're seeing these roles progressing i have seen a huge shift in what students want to do so when i really? first yeah it's actually <gasps> crazy when i first started going to unis it was like pr buying merchandising styling now everyone wants to be a creative director or an art director a cd <laughs> it's ma- and then also it's bizarre because I'm like what are your tutors telling you because there's no junior roles in that (laughs) that is a senior role so like how do you want to get so everyone wants to be a creative director because (laughs) it's good and bad in a way because they just have such great ideas and they just Mm. want to put their ideas into the world but they also don't understand that you need to develop certain skills so that a creative director could have been a stylist their whole, whole career and then taken on a creative direction role or been a photographer their whole career so I'm just like pick a few skills and perfect those and ultimately that will shape your creative direction like ambitions Mm -hmm. so that's interesting I love the fact that technology is changing the industry and also like Gen Z kind of mindsets are changing the industry as well so I have this lecture that I do on future proofing your career and it's all about like the retail revolution and like resale a whole lot of re-commerce, a resale, restoration, what's the other one? And rental. Mm-hmm. And actually, yeah. a lot of like big players, luxury brands, department stores are having to get involved now. They can't ignore it. I yeah. think it's going to be worth like 1.96 billion by 2020, in five years. Yeah. Literally, that is so crazy. So I speak to students, I'm like, look into these things seriously and think about what jobs, not just researching and reading and saying, oh, that's cool, I'd rent a dress. Mm -hmm. Think about your career. What can you do to contribute to this? And then there's roles like, I think at Vogue, there's a role like a Snapchat editor, where their role is specifically to create Snapchat content for like 16 to 18 year olds around the world. So... The roles we know now are going to change so much. And I say to people, future-proof your career, learn tech skills. And the conversations you have with your friends are going to shape the direction the industry is going to move in because you guys are, like Gen Z, are the ones that everyone is trying to, like, 
grab right now so yeah it's interesting isn't it because we have a partnership program with universities where during university courses students are able to learn how to use edited as a tech platform and it's so valuable it's such a valuable skill when they apply for jobs or they go into these entry positions because ultimately the directors the vps the senior managers they're not necessarily the ones that have the time to pull this analysis or this information yeah. and being able to go in there and offer value and and give them yeah. within you know a minute a view of the market and what's going what's on going is on. so yeah, valuable so definitely i think learning like, those other skills yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's and you're kind of right not all of these jobs exist at the moment no they don't so kind of figuring out what they could look like in the exactly. future yeah. is definitely something how is the industry moving and, yeah. and you can, can create you your own one of my friends like when depop was first starting she emailed them and said i want to do partnerships for you guys and they were like oh they didn't have anyone yeah. so she literally created her own role based on seeing this really young platform that's so focused on gen z yeah. um, like a cult brand for them and then she was like oh you're missing a trick and i get it yeah and she was young i think she was like 22 at the they've time they've had some great but they've got a richard quinn partnership yeah they yes. had like ralph lauren yeah. they did like a curated edit she's doing a good job yeah. well she's left now she's like, she, she did a great a job a while ago but yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah that's amazing so what skills are industry leaders calling from yeah. from the next generation and what where would you encourage people to focus their time and energy on developing that? I think if we look at what every, what skill everyone wants, you could just kind of get a bit overwhelmed by that. Yeah. So what I always say is just be specific. Look at job descriptions. Yeah. The skills that they want are hidden in the job description and yeah. just marry your CV with what they say in the job descriptions. But the key thing, though, for me, the biggest thing is commercial awareness. Yeah. And that being able to contextualise information and saying, okay, I've read this article about, let's say, protests in China and how that's affecting fashion. If you can go into an interview and speak about, oh, I know that like APAC, like the Asian market is quite big for like luxury, but then because of these protests, you're making like the brands are making less money. So and saying, oh, actually, I get this. And actually, I should start thinking of solutions. You probably can't stop the protests, but you can think of ways in which the companies you're applying for could potentially dominate or take control of like that sector in in little ways. So, so have a wider world view about what's going on. So it's fine to read like L and have the like kind of cultural awareness of like pop culture and stuff yeah. like that, but read like business news yeah. because actually fashion sits on the fringes of everything. Yeah, it really um, does. so it's important to know a bit about everything. Even, so. like, setting up Google Alerts for, like, a company that you're applying for. Exactly. And when they come in the news. Yeah. Like, that's so helpful. Yeah. I, I, that's a question I often ask, like, when I go into the universities. They can tell me what companies they love. And I'm just like, okay, so what was the last thing they were in the news for? Or, like, what's their share price? You don't have to know. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just like, are you aware that they're, like, a public company? Do you understand how they operate? Yeah. They're like, uh like you don't love them if yeah. you lo- like if you loved a boy you would know everything about him <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> so if you love a company you would li- do the same yeah. type of digging like yeah. go in so apply so, your kind of like social media stalking skills literally to anyone you want to work literally with. that is it that's, that's a transferable skill right <laughs> exactly <now>. it is. <laughs> exactly we all have that skill whether you want to admit it or not <laughs> we all have it <laughs> So you mentioned it really briefly before. Mm-hmm. Golden question. Fashion is not known for its big paychecks. Yeah. How can you raise the topic of things like pay rises, especially in a really tough retail environment? 
if you want a pay rise, you have to create a business case for it. And in order to create a business case for why you deserve more money, you have to understand what value you bring to the company, how you contribute, and what's happening in your department, and then the wider departments as well. And that is not a space that young people are very confident in. So when I talk about value, it's like, okay, how does your role specifically contribute to how much money the company's making or mm-hmm. losing, actually? Because you could go in demanding more money. And it's like, well, actually, you guys are not performing well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Be aware. Yeah, exactly. And that's a conversation that you can just have with your boss. Like when you start, you can literally say, is it okay to have a five minute catch up with everyone in the team to understand how each person's role like affects the team as a whole? Is it okay to maybe speak to another department we work closely with to understand how we affect them and then that will give you a wider context of how your role affects the business and looking at budgets and stuff like it's something young people kind of shy away from but you should know like okay what are your monthly budgets or departmental budgets are you hitting it are you under are you over and then it will give you ideas of how you can do more actually and if you present a strong business case for okay well say you work in press samples and you reduce the sample return rate by 20% you should know like key figures like okay let's say certain magazines were bringing things back a lot later but now they're on time so now we can share with more publications our press coverage has gone up that within itself sounds brilliant If you can go into a meeting and say, I implemented the new strategy that's allowed us to reduce our return rates, how are they going to say no to you? (laughs) So, and there you have it. Yeah, present a business case. Don't make it personal. Don't say, I want to buy a house for you because they don't care. Everyone wants to buy a house. Yeah, (laughs) don't you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, have you? ever felt imposter syndrome it's something we hear a lot in the news and especially with women Um, but how would you advise people who struggle with that to get through it imposter syndrome is a funny one and I feel like it's weird because it's almost a good feeling to have because it means that you're doing something that's a bit bigger than you and you're out of your depth and you're challenging yourself Mm -hmm. the key is to grow in the areas that you feel like you're being an imposter And then you become an expert. And then the feeling goes away, literally. And then the next kind of thing you feel imposter syndrome about is a challenge you just have to tackle. So say you kind of go in, you have to go into meetings every two weeks and speak to heads of departments. After you've done that like six, seven, ten times, you're going to become super comfortable with that. And then your next challenge is presenting to the CMO. And then that's like where you feel like, oh, I'm an imposter. So whenever you feel a negative feeling about a situation, just make it a challenge. Conquer it. And the next negative feeling, another challenge, conquer that. It's not a bad feeling to have. I don't think so at all. If you're not scared. I love that kind of, because we talk about imposter syndrome. I think I had it when I came here. I felt like I've not worked in this this particular environment before. Like, but what are the gaps in my knowledge? Where do I need to fit? Now you're doing a podcast. Like, you're so comfortable. (laughs) A co-hosting a podcast. Right? but now I think that's so important imposter syndrome we 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 do kind of approach with quite a negative view but actually let's make it a positive one every I think if you make almost everything in your life positive you take control back of your life one of my favorite quotes is life isn't happening to me it's happening for me and then it's like every negative situation that happens is an opportunity to learn and grow if you see it as an opportunity to learn and grow and once you do you conquer it and you feel so great. Yeah. Like when you've been into a really tough meeting or you've had something you felt was a real exactly. challenge, it makes, you feel so much more fulfilled rather than staying in your yeah, safety, yourself. comfort zone. Exactly. Oh. So we know you run absolutely amazing workshops across the country. 
what is the most requested topic by Browns and universities, universities that you've had partnerships I with? I want you guys to guess. What do you think? Oh, <laughs> what do you think? It's a Where simple one. I? Confidence? Yeah. It's literally confidence. Everyone wants to know how to build more confidence. And it's such a difficult thing to teach because confidence isn't like this universal thing where everyone yeah. doesn't feel confident in the same areas or for the same reasons. So, yeah, I do a confidence workshop. But my main thing that I teach around is that confidence comes from past experience. Mm. So even if you failed at something previously, the fact that you've done it should make you feel good in that you are able to take on challenges. You're able to kind of face things head on. Yeah. So the next time you just learn more push yourself further but it is a tricky one to teach I'm not gonna lie yeah. <laughs> it's a tricky one it's funny isn't it because whenever we have new hires here mm. if, when you do reference calls and you talk to previous managers or co-workers one of the like things that I hit the most is they really need to build up their confidence yeah. that's an area or a skill they really need to work on yeah but yeah it is I love that that it's based yeah. on past experience past experience and, like, you've always done something yeah exactly yeah. you've always done something that scared you that you conquered always yeah. even if it was like you were scared to go to the gym because it's all men and, yeah. I don't know, you, you just feel nervous in those environments. It doesn't even have to be related to work. You just yeah. look at your life and say, what have I conquered before? What previous experience have I, like, kind of been afraid of and nailed? And then how can I apply that same courage to whatever it is I'm going forward doing? So what are kind of the toughest things that you uh, or you know members of your network mm. come up against in the industry at the moment what are they facing i think it is self doubt because i find that the girls don't come to me when they're applying for jobs they're fine with that they don't come to me they don't always come when they have like issues at work as well but it's just when they have a random moment of I'm not good enough like you could just have a catch up with someone and before you know it they're in floods of tears yeah. and I'm like wait where's this come from like they literally start doubting themselves for no reason and that leads back to the confidence thing yeah. but I also feel like people don't actively challenge themselves enough mm -hmm. they don't look at their kind of skills gaps or they don't look at the areas where they're weak and say I am making it a point to be super strong in these areas mm, they yeah. just kind of allow themselves to get worked up about it, brush it under the carpet yeah. and then keep moving. But it's always going to, if you sweep something always under the rug, it's always going to come up. Yeah. So yeah, self-doubt. And also, I think it's difficult because when you're at work, you're like your most professional polished self. But then a lot of people's home situations aren't great. Mm. And like Elaine, who was the editor of Team Vogue, she said that if you can't show up powerfully at home, it's difficult to show up powerfully at work. Yeah. And I hate that careers are all about your career actually so I think you should have like a holistic approach and make sure that people are okay at home within themselves mentally and then they'll just perform a lot better at work yeah. so some of these girls like go to work and they doubt themselves but it's because like they've had this argument with their boyfriend and he said something horrible completely unrelated to their job but now they're doubting their whole life yeah so I don't know how it would work with companies but there should be this like holistic approach to career development and making sure people just feel whole within themselves I think half the time it's just asking the question of your employees mm. are you okay are you okay mm. yeah and actually it not having to be related to work all mm -hmm. the time but actually it's something Definitely. that I'm interested to know about what's going on in your life yeah exactly and, you know and if there is something that's affecting you Absolutely. Let's work on how we can improve that. Be because you're right. You can't you can't be an outstanding performer at work if you've got things going wrong yeah, left, right and centre exactly. outside. You can't it. compartmentalize everything. Everything, you. no, you can for a for a certain amount of time, right. but not forever. Yeah. Hundred percent. So 
We know that growing your network is deemed mm-hmm. a super essential for building out your career and starting something. And people feel a lot of pressure around that and how to go about doing it and don't really know where to start. What advice would you give them? Join the junior network. Join the junior network. (laughs) Um, I would say, first of all, everyone has a network. It may not be the people that you are like your dream kind of network because some people, like with a lot of the young people, they always want to connect with seniors, which is great. Very ambitious. But I'm like... You go to an event and you sit next to a girl who works at ASOS or whatever and she's on the same level as you. That is who you should be connecting with. Because when you look around the industry, people create grassroots connections and then rise up together. Mm -hmm. And that's more, I think, it's more of a strong connection than having a mentor or having someone who's Mm. super senior that's quite busy Mm -hmm. that can only see you once or twice a year. So I would say go to events. And if you're shy, just chat to the person next to you. My super tip for networking is just compliment someone's perfume. <laughs> if they've got perfume on. Um, <laughs> or oh, something that went right. <laughs> it's just soap and water. <laughs> um, or like compliment something they're wearing. Make it genuine mm. and then strike up a conversation and then stay in touch. You don't always have to go and take the speaker's email and then, you know, have this awkward interaction of, can I take you to coffee when there's nothing mm-hmm. to talk about? Yeah. Like, it's weird. Yeah. So your network can come from anywhere and everywhere. If you're still in university, please be friends with everyone on your course. You don't have to be best friends with them, but have a relationship at least on a level where you can stay in touch, you can have them on LinkedIn. Because the strongest networks comes from grassroots connections, without a doubt. And if you look at some of like the key players in industry, they've moved around with the same people for years and years yeah. and years. So, um, yeah, start now, start young, start with your peer group. So what about LinkedIn and social media and mm. connecting with people that maybe you don't know personally yeah. or you haven't met? What, what, yeah. what would you say about that? Uh, it can be a bit pretentious, but I would never say don't do it. Yeah. I've made great friends on social media, like literally like really, really good (laughs) connections. But it's because there's a shared interest, like there's something that they do that I'm interested in, something I do that they're interested in. So I always say, don't just be interested in people, be an interesting person. Mm. If Mm. you want to reach out to people on social media, on LinkedIn, make sure your LinkedIn profile is complete in that you show all the things that you do so that when they respond to you and they look at what you're doing, they're like, oh, she's cool, he's cool. Same with your social media. You don't have to put your whole job, everything you do every day, but like put bits of your work, your social life, things that will make that person feel like, oh, okay, they're my kind of person because they don't know you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so about making it genuine, Mm. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And don't force it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, don't you can come across it. a bit weird. Yeah, like a stalker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't want that. So, what traits would you look for in a mentor to make it make it a valuable experience? Like me and my colleague Dinah were just talking about this very recently. Yeah. So it'd be great to kind of get your thoughts on that. The mentorship question is a very interesting one because a lot of people have been told if you find someone that's interesting, just ask them to be your mentor. And we wrote an article about it on the website. And it was almost like, if you see a boy in the street or you, do you know what I mean? See him at a party and you find him interesting, just go up to him and say, can you be my boyfriend? It's, it's, it's too much of a personal relationship to just demand, you know, all that commitment off, yeah. the, off the bat. So I would say, try and build just an authentic connection with someone yeah. and make sure that they are interested in what you do in your career and somewhat invested. So they don't have to do the same thing you do, but they should want to know what you do and be like, okay, so how are you getting on? Are you seeking to progress? Like, how's things going? And if they ask you those questions, then, yeah, they're interested in your career growth 
and then you can potentially ask them to be your mentor following somewhat of a relationship yeah. mm-hmm. um things what's the question things you should look out for in a mentor yes i think it's just that someone who's interested in you so it's not all, always about thinking like i have someone who i would consider a mentor we meet up like twice i was gonna a year. say do you have someone yeah, yeah so what it's do you get a woman at person? burberry and on my very last day, I asked her to mentor me. But I'd worked for her for two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't work together every day. She would, like, pop into the samples office and we would chat. She was head of our department. But even so, like, we met up for about, I think, six months to a year before she introduced me to a single one of her contacts yeah. because she wanted to make sure she could trust me and that actually my business goals were what I was actually getting on with and not just saying, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. And it was, we did have to build, even though she'd been my boss, I guess, we had to build a different type of relationship. And I had to be patient and not expect a lot from her because she's a VP, she's busy, she's got a personal life, she's got a busy career. She's not going to just give you all her contacts. Yeah, exactly. And give me all of her time as well. And you have to be flexible in like, you always have to, there's no shame in always going to them or like if they cancel and stuff, don't take it personal. They are actually busy. Yeah. I run a mentorship program now and some of the girls like panic, like I haven't heard from my mentor. And I'm like, but it's fashion week. Like yeah. give them yeah. a chance to breathe. <laughs> like literally they will get back yeah. to you. So yeah, it is, it's a tricky one, but like all relationships in life are tricky. So expect to find ways to just navigate successfully around the obstacles. So if there's one thing that you think mm. our listeners should take away from the podcast today, what oh would you say God. it was? Distill everything, your entire experience. I know, I'm trying to think. <laughs> what is my main message in life right now? Uh, I think people are just people. Fashion feels like a very, it is a very scary industry actually. And there's a lot of important key players and like a lot of gates and barriers and glass ceilings and rooms where people feel like they'll never ever walk into but ultimately people just want to meet great people mm-hmm. and if you don't spend enough time becoming an expert at something having an opinion building your confidence building your ability to naturally speak to people make them feel comfortable it will be very difficult for you to climb up in the industry so don't worry so much about what other people are doing and actually work on yourself yeah. every single day in whatever ways you feel are necessary whether that's going to events reading doing additional courses whatever it may be everyone knows what they need to do for themselves as much as they try to avoid it everyone knows you know where your gaps are in life so work on yourself and you will be surprised people naturally gravitate towards you yeah. and your confidence will shoot up and you'll be doing things that you never thought you could do but yeah <laughs> I feel like that's just generally great life advice. Yeah, right? It is. It, is. it, really, it is. really is. And for our listeners, how, how can they connect with you in the future? So, the future's today, right? Yeah. <laughs> Follow me on social media right now. Um, what are your handles? So, Pepper Your Talk is at, pe- no one hears me when I say it. I'm going to say it slow. <laughs> at Pepper Your Talk the junior network at the junior network and then my personal instagram is at dior bediaco that's it brilliant yeah we've absolutely loved having you here thank you i loved it i actually feel so much better now i don't feel so but i think it's the tablet i took just before Plus the scintillating conversation. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. We've loved loved it. it. 
So thank you for listening to Unedited. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Dior, make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with upcoming episodes. It would really make our day if you could rate, review or subscribe to us. You can get in touch at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Bye. Bye. Bye.